Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'd please open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 5. As we go through uh, this part of the text, this is just before the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. Uh, Moses is going through the law once again for this new generation. Um, He's reminding them that God spoke these words from the mountain with his own voice. He wrote them on on a tablet with his own finger. And he wants them to remember, many of them probably were not born or just were very, very young when this had happened. Their parents, we know, had all perished by now. And what a blessing, what a blessing to know that God's holy word has been made so evident to them and to us. And indeed, he continues to speak to the heart of every man through his general revelation. All of these laws are written. The Ten Commandments are written on the heart of everyone. So the text is Deuteronomy chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 6 and 7. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Remember, this is perfect in every way, inspired of God, and it's for you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray again. Father, we lift up our voices once again to you and our hearts. Lord, what a weighty, what a weighty message, what a weighty text. How deep and infinite is the truth contained herein and how unworthy we are to know you at all and how inadequate Am I to even discuss your word and your glory? But we pray that you would use these stuttering lips to present your word to your people. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we studied the prologue of this text, the the part of verse 6 is actually, verse 6 is called the prologue to the Ten Commandments. And we saw three things from this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, the Egypt, out, of, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First, we saw Moses laying three foundations for the obedience of all the other commandments. And it's very exciting because it applies directly to us today. First, he says, I am the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. God is the sovereign king over all of his creation. In Deuteronomy 10.14, he says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in them. So the first reason we listen to and obey the commandments of God is that God is God. He's sovereign over all things. But secondly, he says, I'm the Lord your God. He's our God. He's covenanted with us, with His people. He's adopted us and He draws us to obedience. And thirdly, he highlights that he brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is their Redeemer, and God is our Redeemer as well. So because God is the sovereign King, because He's our God, and because He has redeemed us, we should obey Him. And then Moses recites the ten words. It's the Hebrew, the ten words given by the mouth of God, talking of the Ten Commandments. 
And by these commandments, Joel Beakey says, God asserts authority over every facet of human existence. And as we'll see, our Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, the shorter catechism, they say basically the same. But the first commandment is what we'll focus on this evening. The first commandment shows that God is the center of all creation, all human existence, all of our thoughts, all of our deeds, all of our future. Everything should have God at the very center. That's this commandment. He's the sun around which everything else revolves in our life. For those who are His, He is the center of our universe. For those who are not His children, He should be the center of their universe, but He's not. And just as I continue through, um, just a quick introduction, there's some rules of interpretation that have been used for hundreds and hundreds of years to interpret the Ten Commandments. They're reflected in the larger catechism and in our confession and the writing of many theologians really since the beginning of the church. They're important and I'm going to review them briefly today. I may not go over them again. What are these rules? First of all, all of the law, all the spiritual, or all of the law is spiritual. The Ten Commandments are spiritual. In other words, it applies to every part of man. Not just an outward obedience, but every part of us. To the heart, the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, the body, the character, the public life, the private life, everything. The law touches every part of your life. The commands that regard external actions imply an inward heart obedience and right affections. That's the first rule. It's a spiritual law. In other words, we can't be pharisaical and say, well, I've never murdered anybody, so I've never broken the Sixth Commandment. No, Jesus actually spoke against that mentality, that pharisaical mentality. Thou shalt not murder, He says, also means you shouldn't be angry with your brother. So there's an internal aspect to this command. It's spiritual. Anger, hatred, envy, etc. These things are also breaking the commandment. And the Sermon on the Mount Jesus goes through most of the commandments and just shows how they're all spiritual. It's not just about an outward observance of, a, of an outward thing. And we know this as well. The, the commandments are all about the heart because the tenth commandment actually is about the heart. It's only about the heart. It's coveting. And you can only do that in your heart. And as Moses tells them to be careful to obey the law, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 6. Again, piling on this point that it's spiritual. Deuteronomy 10.16, he says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. In other words, you're all circumcised, and the women were counted as part of the circumcised um, because of their husbands and their fathers. But he says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Don't just do that external thing. It's about your heart. So it's spiritual. That's the first point. It's a point that John Calvin makes probably better than anyone. Secondly, the commandments are all two-sided. Every commandment is double-edged. Negative prohibitions imply positive truths. And positive commands imply negative prohibitions. The same applies for the blessings and the curses, which we'll see as we work through the rest of the commandments. What does this mean? You shall not murder is a negative prohibition, but it also implies the opposite. You should protect. 
your neighbor's life. You shall honor your father and mother. It's a positive truth, but it also implies the, the opposite of that. You should not do evil against your father and mother. And Jesus taught that exact lesson to the Pharisees. So every command is two-sided. Every command has a positive and a negative. Thirdly, Joel Beakey says the Ten Commandments express God's created order seen in Genesis 1. Commandments number two and number four make direct reference to creation. Why don't we murder? It's because we are image bearers. God taught Noah that lesson. Murder, adultery, they spring from the honor of man as an image bearer of God. And we know that Romans teaches us that from creation, all of these commandments have been graciously written on the hearts of all men from the very beginning. So they express God's created order. Fourthly, the specific commandments reveal broader principles for knowing and loving God. So these commandments are precious to us because they reveal God's heart and they show us how to love our Father, but they also express broad principles about knowing our God as well. One example, commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is a command against lying, but specifically against perjury, right? You don't lie about someone else in court or any other time. Yet in this command, we see the value of truth to God. He loves truth. His love of truth and of good reputation. So it implies that sinful actions, in addition to perjury, all the other sins of gossip and slander and fraud in business and etc., etc., everything you can pile on will break the commandment as well. But it tells us about the truth of God and His love for truth and a good reputation. So the specific commands reveal broad principles for knowing and loving God. And fifthly, the last one, the context for all the commandments is love. We talked about this last week. Both for God to man and for man to God. So we know that if we love God, we obey His commandments. That's through the Scriptures. But you say the commands that God gives us are because He loves us? Now the Bible teaches that as well. This is Deuteronomy 10.12. He says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. So He gave us the commandments for our good. Because He loves us. He's a good Father. So all that is introduction to, to this message about the first commandment. The first commandment. We're going to talk about the uniqueness of God in this commandment. Our love for God and our duty to God. The commandment, of course, is you shall have no other gods before me. Literally in Hebrew, I was explaining to someone recently that you know, they, they want the most literal translation possible. And I understand the heart behind that. But there's so many things in the Hebrew and even in the Greek that if you just did a wooden literal translation, you would not be able to understand what they're talking about. In other words, we need a good translation, a, a translation that reflects the Scriptures. Literally, what this says in Hebrew is, there shall not be to you other gods towards my face. 
which actually makes pretty good sense with the translation we have in most English Bibles, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, there's something about a face in the Hebrew language that implies favor, that implies offense if you bring something before the face of someone that's not honoring. You shall have no other gods toward my face. Interesting too that when other gods are brought before the face of God, the Hebrew often says that God's nose gets hot. That's a literal wooden Hebrew translation or English translation of the Hebrew. His nose gets hot. What is it? He's getting angry. He's angry when we bring other things before His face. You shall have no other gods before me. The point is, you have a good translation of this commandment. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. It's the highest and most foundational of all the commandments. This is the, the big one. This is the commandment of commandments. I was feeling the weight of this this week and lamenting to my wife how uh, inadequate I was to speak to this commandment, hoping for a little comfort. And she said, yeah, you better not mess this one up. It's like, thank you, honey. The meaning of the commandment, I think, is clear. But we're going to talk about it in detail because our hearts are hard and we need to hear it. God is to be supreme in our lives. That's it, brothers and sisters. He should be it. Our thoughts, our actions, our words, everything in life, God is above all. Luther said we're to fear, love, and trust God above all things. That's how he explained this commandment. In other words, no idols are permitted. And the Hebrew word for idol is something like nothingness or shapelessness. Because that's what they are. They're nothing compared to God. So our larger catechism I thought was instructive. I'm actually going to use it partly as a, an outline for the sermon. Number 104. What are the duties required in the first commandment? Listen to these words. The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God. We all get that. And to worship and glorify Him accordingly. Yes. By thinking and meditating and remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of Him, believing Him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in Him, being zealous for Him, calling upon Him, giving all praise and thanks to Him, yielding all obedience and submission to Him, with the whole man, and being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful when in anything he is offended, and walking humbly with him. All these things point to our having no other gods before him. The first four commandments all, of course, relate to the worship of God. The first commandment is the one that instructs us that he is the only God. And that we must worship Him. So let's look at the first point. Uh, Joel Beakey makes this point really well. That God is unique. He's unique in His glory. And this requires exclusive worship. You shall have no other gods before Me. He's unique. Our Confession of Faith, chapter 2, says this about God and His worship. God has all life and glory and goodness and blessedness 
in and of Himself, and is alone in and unto Himself all-sufficient. He's unique. Not standing in need of any creature that He has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting His own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever Himself pleases. In His sight are all things open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing to Him is contingent or uncertain, He is most holy in all His counsels, in all His works, in all His commands, to Him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatever worship, service, or obedience He is pleased to require of them. God is absolutely unique. Nothing on earth is like Him. We are not like Him. Except that we're made in His image. He's the only true God. He's our Creator. He's the Almighty King. And we must worship Him. Although He is different, He's holy, and we are unholy. He still requires worship. I'm going to be going through a lot of Scriptures. I can provide these all to you um, after the ser- sermon if you would like them. But I'm going to move fast. Talking about God's perfect and infinite uniqueness. He's set apart. That's the meaning of holy. Set apart. Very different from us. The Hebrew word kavod, it's, it's holy, but it's something of, of heaviness, of weightiness. When he speaks of the rulers of the world as, as breath, as, as nothing, he's the opposite of that. Isaiah 43.10, talking of this, says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. There's no one like our God. Deuteronomy 4.39, he makes the same point. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above, and on earth beneath there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh and there is no other. In Isaiah 45, he repeats this five times. I am the Lord, and there is no other. He's absolutely unique. He's absolutely different from us. We owe Him our worship. We owe Him obedience. If you're praying the Lord's Prayer, which I hope you are throughout the day, you're praying the same prayer. You're praying the first commandment. Holy be Your name. Holy, set apart, different. Holy be Your name. May we worship You alone. And then at the end, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So he's unique. He's unique. He's also unique in that he's our creator. 
Deuteronomy 4.39 Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. So that's the first point. God is unique. He's the only God. He's the almighty King of kings. He's the creator of all things, the giver of all life, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable one, perfect in all His attributes. We are to worship Him alone and have no other gods before Him because He is unlike any other God. And everyone in your heart is saying, Amen. We all desire this. We all desire to worship God alone. If you have faith in Christ, you do. Besides being unique, we see also in this commandment that it implies exclusive worship, which reflects our love for God. That's the second point. This is exclusive worship, which reflects our love for God. I remember in the, the wedding vows, the old English wedding vows, you've probably heard this if you've watched old movies or maybe you actually took these vows, but it's something like, with, I will honor thee and with my body do thee worship or something like that. Again, it's old English, but what it means is I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm going to worship you in the sense that I'm going to adore you and honor you with all that I am. Again, the, the context of love for God is a covenant context. It's, it's God bringing us to Himself as really in a marriage. So this exclusive worship that God commands is a reflection of our love for God. When we obey this, we're saying, God, I love You. And you see this in the first part of the answer to the larger catechism. When it says that we are to worship and glorify Him accordingly as the only God by thinking and meditating and remembering and highly esteeming and honoring and adoring and choosing and loving and desiring and fearing Him. These things all imply relationship. You're thinking about Him. You, you want to love Him. You're meditating on Him and His goodness. You're remembering Him. Believing Him and trusting Him and hoping and delighting and rejoicing in Him. Many of these things are the same things that you would expect from your spouse in your marriage. And yet the larger catechism, the, the Westminster divines are saying that we should think of God that way. We should worship Him. This is the first, the first thing they mention is that we should worship Him and glorify Him accordingly. Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we're the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. He's talking about the first commandment. He is our God. So we should worship and bow down to Him. He's our Maker. We should also glorify Him. Psalm 29, verse 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. This is how we obey the first commandment. That we should have no other gods before Him. We should think on Him and meditate on Him. Our hearts should always be thinking about God. Psalm 63, verse 6-8, through 8, When I remember you in my bed, meditate upon you in the watches of the night, you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We're also remembering Him. 
when we obey this commandment, we remember Him. Deuteronomy 8.18, God's telling the people, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm the covenant that He swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Remember that our God is the one caring for us. We highly esteem and honor Him. Malachi 3.16 The Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. The larger catechism goes on to say that we choose Him when we obey this commandment. We should be choosing God. Joshua 24, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose God. And we love Him more than anything else. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. David says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Again, the, the love that we have for God is reflected in our obedience to this command. And this is a steadfast covenant love between God and man. The covenant promise, I will be to you as a God and you will be my people that He gave to Abraham and again is applied to us is a, a love of relationship. It's covenant relationship. And we've talked about how that phrase, I will be to you a God and you will be my people, that phrase with different names is all over the ancient Near East on tombstones. As a husband and a wife, would say something very similar, and it would be on the tombstone. This was my wife, whom I loved, and I was her husband. It's in the form of an ancient Near East wedding vow. And this again is seen throughout the Scriptures. God is showing that the love He has for His people is like a wedding. It's, it's like a marriage. He's committed. He's taken us as His bride. And He's committed. Why? Because we deserved it? No, Deuteronomy 7, it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, His hesed, His covenant love on you and chose you. For you the fewest, you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath He swore to your fathers. Verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. This, this love is like a marriage. He's so committed to us as His people and He expects our obedience. Indeed, God in Hosea talks about Israel as a wife. Hosea 3 says, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another. I was talking to Hosea the prophet. Go and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Hosea 2. He says that he's going to punish Israel because she went after lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. You see, we obey the commandments because we love our God. The greatest commandment of all, Jesus said, 
The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength. The core of all the commandments is loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls. So how do you ensure that you have no other gods before Yahweh? You love Him with all that you are. And when you notice things that, that, that distract from your love from God, you get rid of that thing. With every thought, word, and deed, you are seeking to love God, to put Him before all things. And if you want to see how this is best seen in the Bible, look to Jesus. The way He lived is the way we ought to live. He's the perfect example of keeping this commandment. Everything He did on earth was in obedience to the Father and done out of deep love for the Father. In John 14, He says, I do as the Father has commanded Me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He honored His heavenly Father in all that He did. His obedience was inspired by His love. So we have the uniqueness of God seen in this commandment, and based on this exclusive love, we have obedience to God. And secondly, or thirdly, we see that this implies duty to God. This is the last point. Our duty is only to Him, to have no other gods before Him. So in the larger, larger catechism, the answer switches from all the things required of the commandment that reflect our love for God to now this part that talks about our duty to God. That we are to be zealous for Him. Call upon Him. Give all praise and thanks to Him. Yield all obedience and submission to Him. With the whole man. And being careful in all things to please Him. And sorrowful when He is offended in anything. And walk humbly with Him. So having only one God implies more than just we don't bow down to idols. Or we don't worship other gods. It's part of a relationship that implies our duty to God, our covenant duty to the God who has saved us. We are to be zealous for Him, to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. We're to call upon Him. Not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer petition to present our requests to God, to call on Him. To give thanks and praise to Him. To enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. To yield our obedience to Him with the whole man. With the whole man. Those who love me will obey me. That's why Paul can say that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, sacrifices were killed. They were offered as dead sacrifices. And Paul says you are to be a living sacrifice. You're all in. Body and soul. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our catechism goes on to say that this implies we should be careful to please Him. To be careful to please our God. Joshua 22, verse 5. Listen to this. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and to serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul. Be careful. So certainly, you need to understand, and I think all of you do, we don't come to God because we're good law keepers. We don't earn our way into His good favor. That happened before us. But once He has saved you, your life will reflect obedience because you love Him. You will love His commands. 
So by way of application, I will just ask this. Do you love His commands? Are you digging your own cisterns? Are you making your own rules? Do you kind of decide, yeah, I like that part, but no, that's a little too much. Yeah, I like that law. I love that thought. No, I'm not going to do that. Are you guided by the Word of God? Are you deciding for yourself what's right and wrong? Because the commandments seem clear. We read this morning from Jeremiah 2, where God said, these people have forsaken me by committing two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they're trying to come to God in their own way. With their own rules. And we're all tempted to this. Calvin said, this is like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes when you willfully disregard God's law. We need to be those who do not exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. We can't give to anyone else what is due to God alone. thought it was almost better than anything I could say. This is the way these theologians say that you break. How do you break the first commandment? It's from the larger catechism. Listen to these words. What sins are forbidden in the first commandment? Look at how deep into your heart these, these words go. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism in denying or not having a God, idolatry in having or worshiping more gods than one, or any with or instead of the true God, the not having and avouching Him for God and our God, the omission or neglect of anything due to Him required in this commandment, ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of Him, bold and curious searching into His secrets, all profaneness, hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, all other inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affections upon other things, and taking them off from Him in whole or in part. Vain credulity, in other words, believing vain things, unbelief, Heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair, incorrigibleness, not being corrected, insensibleness under judgments, hardness of heart, pride, presumption, carnal security, tempting God, using unlawful means, trusting in lawful means, carnal delights and joys, corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal, lukewarmness, Deadness in the things of God, estranging ourselves and apostatizing from God, praying or giving any religious worship to saints or angels or other creatures, all compacts consulting with the devil and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience, slighting and despising God and his commands, resisting and grieving of his spirit, discontent and impatience at his dispensations, charging him with foolish foolishly for the evils He inflicts on us, and ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do 
to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. And my suspicion is that this only scratches the surface of the sin that wells up in our hearts when we think of all the ways that we break this commandment to have no other gods before me. So I'd ask you to look into your own hearts and evaluate your own soul and what are the idols, the things that rise up daily to challenge your love and worship of God. Is it money? Is it status? Is it comfort? Is it self or family or pleasure? Ease or sports or life itself? Health? Possessions? Social media? Your smartphone? We must give exclusive devotion to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to just pull apart the the workings of your heart and show you where your idolatry dwells. There's no secret gardens of sin in the heart of a Christian. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You should say the same. Certainly we're not perfect. We all desire to serve God with all of our hearts. But we all come before God humbly by the blood of Jesus Christ and ask Him to sanctify us, make us holy and godly in His sight. So let's put away all of our little gods and devote our whole lives to the worship of the one triune God. Let us do this. Let us remember and highly esteem and honor and adore and choose and love and desire and fear Him and love Him. I'll conclude with this. That our knowledge of God inspires our love for God and our love for God inspires our obedience to God. J.I. Packer makes this point very well in his book, Knowing God. This is a knowing of God from the heart. In the first chapter, he says these things. A person can know a great deal about God without actually knowing God. A person can know a great deal about living the Christian life without knowing God. We don't want to be in those camps. We want to be those who know God as the only true God. And this is more than just knowledge about God. It's it's a personal commitment to serve God with all of our hearts and souls. We desire to please our Father. And don't disregard this first commandment thinking, well, I'm saved by grace. It really is all a wash in the end. It's not. We want to please God. We all want to please God. And if you don't want to please Him, if this is offensive to you, then you need to look even deeper. Where is your commitment? Because if it's to God, you'll want to please Him. You say, well, is this even in the New Testament? Yes, Jesus said it. And John said it as well. It's the last Scripture. 1 John 5.1. Hear this. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Brothers and sisters, let's have no other gods before Him. Let us pray. We come to You now, God, and we thank You that You have given us Your Word and You've instructed our hearts. You've you've commanded us to worship You and You alone. We know that our hearts are quickly making new idols, even every day. 
things that rise up in our hearts that we're tempted to give our worship. Lord, let us not let us not put up with any of that. Let us constantly rely on you and your spirit to direct our hearts to you in love. Show us how we might love you better. Show us how we might serve you better. Forgive our sins, we pray. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And let us show our love for him by obeying his commandments. Out of joy and out of sincere gratitude to all he's done for